You're listening to DraftKings Network. I mean, how flexible are you? Because I'm watching this clip of Draymond and he is hiding behind the idea that he's just not flexible. Draymond, can you just walk us through what happened there? My leg got grabbed. Second time in two nights. Referees just watch it. I got to land my foot somewhere. And I'm not the most flexible person, so it's not stretching that far. So you didn't really see where you were stepping? You just kind of... I can only step so far and pulling my leg away, so... It's what it is. As a fellow non-flexible person, I can assure you, it's hard to get out of the way of things. Even now, like if I want to get up from my seat while I'm recording this podcast, uh, yeah, uh, you got to kick uh, the chair. I can't generate enough range of motion from my legs to get me from seated to standing position without a, a good stomp in the in the ground. You know, it's natural. It's the only way to do it. I think I've watched the film a thousand times. And I go back to like the Ethan Strauss idea. No matter what you see, you're only going to view it through the lens by which you view Draymond Green and the Kings or Sabonis. It's like if you come in thinking Draymond is a dirty player, Uh there is no chance that you will see this other than he obviously stomped him. Obviously, he should be suspended or whatever. However, if you're a Draymond stan, Mm -hmm. if you love the Warriors and want to keep them around for game three, you'll look at this and be like, dude, Sabonis was grabbing Klay Thompson, tried to pull him down. And when that didn't work, he had to go to plan B, which is wrap his arms around Draymond Green and try to take him down that way. Hmm. I don't know. Feels like both of those sides are right. Well, where does this rank in the hierarchy of Draymond's ridiculousness? Is this ahead of kicking Steven Adams in the dick. Mm. Is this ahead of the LeBron James situation in the 2016 finals? The finals is always going to be the number one seed. Yeah. Even if he does it again in the finals, it will never be as bad as doing it when you're up three, one as a 73 win team. Oh, I'm not talking about the circumstances. I'm talking about the actual action itself. Oh, like the severity? That's still number one because he kind of, yeah, yeah, he karate kidded that shit. I think the Steven Adams dick kick is the worst. And Steven Adams did the exact opposite of Devontae Sabotis. He stood there like a block of granite. Because he's got a dick made out of (laughs) rock hard steel. That's why. He collapses to the ground, but there's no writhing around. The LeBron one, he glancingly hits it as he's getting up. I don't think that's as bad of contact. And then I'm putting the Sabonis one right in the middle. Right in the middle of the sternum, the chest area, we would say? Yes, exactly. Bullseye. My favorite thing about this whole story is that Draymond asked for an x-ray. According to Mark Spears from Anscape, our guy reporting a source close to the situation, that Draymond Green asked for an x-ray after the game on his ankle which is just fantastic. Yeah, I don't believe him. I, I want to see an x-ray too because Sabonis definitely put some, some ham sandwich on it. Huh? Ham on rye down there. Extra mustard. He was rolling, groaning and like, oh, the, the, dare I say it, Anthony? 
ass off or Demontis Sabonis? Ass on for me, man. I'm not buying it. Ass on. I'm not buying it. What? I'm starting to really not <laughs> like Demontis Sabonis. Let me tell you. Yeah, there it is. He's not popular in the Bay. <laughs> I don't think he's going to get suspended, even though this is Draymond Green and there's a history here. I think the whole fact that he got up on a chair and started taunting the crowd. Yeah. By the way, his ankle looked pretty good there. I'm just going to note his ankle didn't seem to be bothering him getting up on the chair and going WWE, The Rock and Stone Cold style to the audience. But there was one shot. There was a reporter who got the video of it and then like pans over to Adam Silver in the audience. <laughs> that won't sit well with the league offices. It's one thing to have that incident with Demonis Sabonis. It's another to not leave the court in a timely manner. I think the league is going to give him a nice hefty fine there you go. for his conduct leaving the floor. I just don't see that this veers into the territory of suspension worthy. I think they ejected him. He's going to get fined for the ejection. I don't think people realize that is when you do get ejected, you are fined as part of that. That is league policy. And he's going to get fined for failure to leave in a timely manner. That's right. You don't get to do all that when you get ejected. He spent so much time there. I wondered whether he had just gotten one technical foul and Steve Kerr was benching him. Because like, why are you still here? It's the weirdest ejection I've seen since Clay Thompson earlier this year against the Suns, where it's one of my favorite things. He gets into it with Booker, talking shit, and he gets ejected. And he walks all the way down the tunnel and then realizes it's the wrong tunnel because Phoenix has redone its arena and he hasn't played in like three years. So then he has to walk out the tunnel and walk the full length of the court to the other tunnel. And as he's doing that, he's talking more shit just the whole time, pointing at his ring finger and all that. The longest, most awkward ejection this year until Draymond Green. It's just what he did last year in Memphis. This has become the playoff routine when he... Pulled Brandon Clark down, maybe it didn't help him land softly and then came back. It's perfect. It's showmanship. He's always doing this on the road, man. He's not doing it at home. He's just a klutz. He's got no control over his extremities. You know, it's just a tough thing when he's boxing out and running up and down the floor and dunking. He has complete control. But in these other instances, he just doesn't. It's a big mystery why this seems to only happen to Draymond. He's a magnet for trouble. It's not his fault. My assignment. Uncover why the association inspires more conspiracy theories in volume and salience than any other U.S. sport. You've heard of the Illuminati. The truth is out there, but so are lies. Your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. The NBA has always been controlled by about eight people. Denial is the most predictable of all human responses. If you're only using 10% of your brain, you don't even know that you're using 10% of your brain. The NBA Illuminati. If coincidences are just coincidences, why do they feel so contrived? The Illuminati. But you start to follow the money, and you don't know where the f*** is going to take you. It is unspoken. They have influence among other players. The NBA Illuminati. I don't have time for your convenient ignorance. Maybe I'm a conspiracist now as well. That's but all it took. Oh, we got books, we got schools. You saw a video on YouTube. <laughs> Why am I, sir? You've never used them before. We are the basketball Illuminati. <laughs>
This is Basketball Illuminati. I am Tom Haberstroh, and as always, I'm joined by the five-star Illuminati generals, Amin Hassan and producer Anthony Mays. Fellas, we have breaking news. Jaron Jackson Jr., Defensive Player of the Year. Oh. How about that? Is that breaking? Our guy Max broke it, didn't he, last week? Oh, yeah, this is old news. Yeah. Congrats, Jaron Jackson Jr., on winning it, what, a week ago with our guy Max Crows? That's right. The NBA award tracker guy. He doesn't like to call it. He's just tracking it. We'll call it Jaron Jackson Jr. Congratulations as of a week ago. You know what? I feel like we can call it now. Congratulations, Joel Embiid. I'm winning the MVP. Not as close as everybody said it was going to be, huh? Look at that. Everyone wants to talk about Spencer Dinwiddie. Not the Kyle Kuzma stuff. Actually, another villain in this story. I did my own research, hmm. and I want to talk about it later. What are we calling that segment, I mean? Tom did his own research. Oh. Yes, we're going to talk Spencer Dinwiddie and his secret villain. But first... Listening to the agenda with Tom Haberstroh and Amin El Hassan. Guys, I can't tell you how delighted I was to be scrolling through my Twitter this afternoon and seeing in the middle of the playoffs a banner photo on the athletic, an NBA player poll, this breaking news story that has a bombshell after bombshell of what players think is the best coach in the NBA, the worst coach in the NBA, the best defender in the NBA, the most overrated player in the NBA. But of all of the photos they could have chosen, one of the three photos they used in the banner photo is of James Johnson. Mm. There was an editor at, at The Athletic who was sitting there like, how are we going to get people to click on this? I mean, we can put Embiid on there. We could put Giannis, maybe Steph, LeBron. No, 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 no. One of those three needs to be Mr. Bloodsport. James Johnson. Was he the one that was pulled? Yeah. Is that why? <laughs> I'll be honest. I forgot he was still in the league. At this point, he could be dead and gone, right? Like he could literally be dead in the ground and still be winning that poll question. So the poll question was, who would you least want to fight in the NBA? And the answer is James Johnson of the Indiana Pacers in case those who are at home being like, wait, he's still in the league. James Johnson was the lead vote getter there. And the second one was Steven Adams. Do you remember a few weeks ago that we almost saw it? We almost saw Steven Adams and James Johnson go at it in a game where they, I don't think either of them were playing, but they were talking back and forth. And it was like a magnet. You know, when you put the magnet opposite sides and they repel, that's kind of what happened is like once James Johnson started talking to Steven Adams, I think they both realized this is not going to happen. We do not need to see this fight. <laughs> Udonis Haslam still carving out a chunk of that vote as well. 3.3%. So old guys on the bench. That's not who you want to see. Fight to survive! We know how he got that nickname, Bloodsport? Because he's a black belt? <laughs> Several times black belt and comes from a family of black belt martial artists. He had to leave L.A. and move to Cheyenne, Wyoming. No, it wasn't he. His mom and dad had to move out of L.A. because his mom was involved in some untoward activities. And so they moved to Wyoming and opened up a dojo there. And every one of his family members, they're all black belts. And legend has it, they had an octagon and they do MMA fights. And one time they had a late cancellation. So they had James sub in and he literally showed up 
with Jordans on, walked in and knocked the dude out in like 15 seconds. Tom, what's the greatest James Johnson urban legend you've ever heard? There was one, because we were at college together at Wake, that like their urban legends all about James Johnson and that team, it was, they lost to Norris Cole at Cleveland State mm -hmm. in the first round of the NCAA tournament. And there's all sorts of stories about that squad. Ish Smith, Jeff Teague, Al Farouk Aminu. It's LD Williams, was that the, the center? My guy LD, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. That squad should have probably won the whole damn tournament, but they ended up losing to Norris Cole. I remember there's a story about how in shooting and practice, like two balls got stuck in the net and James Roundhouse kicked it down. Instead of jumping up and slapping it out or someone uh, throwing a ball to knock two balls that were stuck out, he just Roundhouse kicks it and the whole practice just stops. Maze, think about this. The rim is 10 feet high, right? So the net would be probably like nine. Yeah. He roundhouse kicked nine feet into the air. <laughs> now that is flexibility, folks. Take notes, Draymond. <laughs> also credit to Jared Wade, who nicknamed James Johnson Bloodsport in 2009. Yeah, shouts to the nickname Bloodsport. I think it was a Danny Chow who wrote it at Grantland. Yeah, Danny Chow wrote an article in 2014 and he credited Jared Wade. Wow. OG NBA Twitter, Jared Wade. Speaking of Wade, let's wade into the conversation. Yeah. You like that? I thought you were going to say, speaking of OGs, let's go back to the OG player poll. I like mine better. Yours is better, yeah. D. Wade was not named in the GOAT debate among the players. So, all right. The Athletic did a player poll. Over 100 players participated. They gave him a series of questions, and it was anonymous, completely anonymous. They did it four years ago because of the pandemic. They took a couple years off, and we're back. NBA playoff action is getting the B block because the A block is the fact that Tracy McGrady was named as a GOAT. Yep. We don't know who the player is. A player named Tracy McGrady as the greatest player of all time. Not Michael, not LeBron, not Kobe, not Wilt, not Kareem, but T-Mac. I love this. Who, who is this player? I mean, who do you think this player is? Well... Michael Beasley's not in the NBA anymore, so that was my guess. It had to be someone who's a complete space cadet, all right? I love T-Mac. T-Mac's one of my favorite guys, man. Oh, he's best. But come on, man. Like, T-Mac wouldn't vote for T-Mac. That's how bad a vote that is. T-Mac got as many votes as Bill Russell. It's amazing. Seven-time All-NBA, seven-time All-Star. Probably had the best scoring stretch in NBA history. Can't take that away from him. I would say maybe if Vince Carter was still a player, you could say Vince was the guy because that's family. By the way, the two guys for the Athletic who put this together, Sam Amick, Josh Robbins, both excellent people, excellent reporters, pros, pros. Love them both. But you guys let us down. We got nothing in the way of exposition in the paragraphs below. Not like, and then there was a one guy who just kept saying T-Mac, yo, T-Mac. Like nothing. He just kind of glossed over it. It is the most out of place answer out of every single question asked in this poll. Do you guys think that it's an old player who maybe overlapped with T-Mac or it's a young player who was raised on T-Mac and that was his favorite player and that's where we're at? Who's the old player? LeBron? Is it UD? Like, think about it. Other than LeBron, who was around for his heyday, for T-Mac's heyday? James Johnson. I mean... Tracy McGrady, we used to do the jump together, and I think he left the TV profession mm -hmm. and started to open up his own agency. Isn't that right? Yeah, him and Jermaine O'Neal started an agency. They wanted to 
be a guiding force for these young, precocious talents to come in the league as both those guys, obviously, they made the jump from prep to pros. I guess they see a trend in many of the young players. And I think they kind of anticipated what we all anticipated that didn't end up happening, which is that the age rule would go away. And so they'd have a leg up on the competition say, look, we've been there and done that, having been guys that came straight out of high school and became NBA All-Stars. But yeah, he's an agent now. 7-1 Sports and Entertainment Group. Under the professional representation, one of the clients is an NBA player, Donovan Williams. Okay. wonder if Donovan is part of this survey. He played two games with the Atlanta Hawks. Maybe that's a guy. I don't know. No clue. Well, at the very least, in August of 2015, D'Angelo Russell tweeted, honestly, Tracy McGrady might have been the GOAT. (laughs) Has anything changed his mind in eight years? Who knows? But it's equally curious who voted for Bill Russell and put Bill Russell at the same level as T-Mac. I dare that. All right. So that one I can figure out because it's someone with a lot of rings. It's someone who plays elite defense and thinks of himself as like kind of like a modern day Bill Russell. Who would that be? Is it obvious who it is? I'm not flexible on who this person is. (laughs) I will not give. I will not bend my ankle. It's Draymond Green. Also, Drew Holiday. I didn't know this, but NBA players love Drew Holiday. They love some Drew Holiday, man. Wow. They love them some Drew Holiday. They don't love being guarded by him. Yeah, he was the number one vote getter for who's the best defender. 29% of the vote. Lou Dort got 11%, so he was in second. Lou Gentz. Jared Jackson Jr., eighth among players in the Depoy vote. It's always weird, man. They buck so hard against what is pretty conventional wisdom, right? Why? What's going on, NBA players? I tell you why. Why? They love Reddit. They saw the Reddit post. That called him a fraud. Didn't Joel Embiid say that the other night? Only three bucks. Uh, I need I'll probably need a Memphis goalkeeper. The most underrated player in the NBA, Drew Holiday. There was a whole host of players. The other category was the lead vote getter on that question. But Drew Holiday, 18% of the vote. Shea Gilgis Alexander, Mikhail Bridges, followed by Jalen Brunson and Jaden McDaniels. So they think he's underrated, but he's also the best defender. I guess it's kind of a semantics. You can be the best defender, but not be depoy, but also be underrated. I'll tell you what it is. This is real easy. This is an example of the group think of when people say something and they all believe it. So if you say Drew Holiday is underrated, it's because you heard everybody else repeat the same refrain over and over again until you become internalized with it. But when asked, who the best defender is, you say Drew Holiday thinking, I bet you no one's going to say this name, but I'll tell you who it is. And then everyone else says that thing because no one else is going to name it. And it turns out he's the number one vote getter. Yep. It's boring to name Giannis, right? It's boring to name Rudy Gobert. Who? Where, where did Rudy, our boy Rudy, where did he? Rudy, who was third in the 2019 poll, received zero votes. Oh, no. For best defender this year. Everybody hates him. There's no defending him as best defender. Everybody hates Rudy. Rudy Gobert, was he right? The NBA is is rigging it for the Kings? They're rigging it against him. Draymond Green got ejected for what? Getting his foot stuck in a bear trap of Sabonis' hands? It's obvious. They're up 2-0 in the series. It's so obvious. It's a conspiracy. Guys, I have another crazy answer. You're building a roster from scratch. 
Who are you going to sign first? 52% said Giannis, and then Jokic, then Luka Doncic. I can get behind that, yep. Steph Curry, Joel Embiid, Jason Tatum, other, and then you get LeBron James. And not like one vote either. LeBron James got a little less than 4%. There were 104 votes. He was 3.8%. Just doing the math there. Probably four votes there for LeBron James. Yeah, four votes. How? You're starting a roster from scratch? Enough. I don't want to hear about players need to be in front offices. But he's the GOAT. (laughs) You're starting from scratch? What are they doing here? What if they took T-Mac? Now that's a hell of a lineup. LeBron and T-Mac? Shit. Alperin Shangun. Alpi. Got to vote for the player you want to build around from scratch. I love it. Shangun squad, stand up. Think about it. You could fit anybody around Shangun. Talk about flexibility. Have you seen his pregame splits? No. You got to see this. <laughs> Alperin Shangun, he does the splits stretching out before the game, straight up. Now that's a guy you can build around. Very flexible. Chet Holmgren got a vote. He hasn't even played a game. A second. Can we put Victor Wembanyama here? Might as well. But Luca, if you did this poll a year ago, Luca probably is right there with Giannis, but just with 6.3% of the vote falling off after this season. Who could have predicted that? There are no mistakes, no coincidences. Tom, how do you explain Hornets Spectrum Center as the arena with the worst fans in the NBA? Man, LaMelo got hurt. I'm trying to defend my home city here. People forget this had like the longest string of sellouts back in the day in Charlotte. And then George Shin screwed everything up. So I don't think it's the Charlotte fans that are the worst. I think it's just they haven't had a playoff team the longest drought since, oh, wait, they have the record now. The longest drought in the NBA without making the playoffs. It's that. They do admit that they didn't completely clarify what worst meant. Yeah. And that many people took it to mean, like you're describing, Tom, the attendance. Dead. So it's not necessarily that all Charlotte fans are trash. It's just that they don't show up. They show up pretty well for this year, though. That's the weird thing. Meanwhile, Boston. That's fascinating that they are considered the best fans. But where are they in the worst category? One, two, three, four, fifth. And that's not because they don't show up. That's because they do show up. They're rude. It's because they do show up. <laughs> Assholes. Mass holes. Warriors Chase Center got a vote. Worst? Yep. The rich. Well, maybe that's Kyle Lowry. I would probably say it's Kyle Lowry. But well, we should shout out the Kings Golden One Center, which is the number two in terms of best fans. And that's been a heavily discussed topic in these playoffs so far. Yeah. You know what? I want to say this has probably been a survey that they issued like a few weeks ago or maybe a month ago, but it really does speak well of the golden one center that after 16 years of losing and not making the playoffs that they're number two on this list. So it kind of invalidates the Charlotte Hornets theory because they have basically been terrible for the last two decades and they still have, one of the best fan bases. You see what he's doing here? I mean, see what he's doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it totally invalidates mm-hmm. the Charlotte Arena. Definitely, Tom. Yeah. There you go. Keep those credentials nice and toasty in the good media section, not the one that's all the way upstairs. Mr. Data, Mr. Research here, poking holes in the player poll. I get it. I'm saying it makes them uh, look worse. The, hey, the no. Hornets, they have a better record over the last 16 years than the Kings. I'm saying, I don't know. Scrambling. Yeah. Call a timeout. 
Speaking of calling a timeout, which coach oh. would players want to play for? Oh, I thought you were going the other way. <laughs> I'm surprised that so many people said pop. Yeah. That was interesting because how many free agents have they gotten? Number one. Number two, you remember that last TBSA coach? Everybody hated him. Mm. <laughs> they were not happy, man. That's all reputation and not practice at this point. In their explainer underneath, one of the players said, he's a great coach. He's won five championships. And guys speak the world of them. I'm like, what guys? <laughs> what guys have you been talking to? I think it's one of those things where he just has won a lot. So they're like, yeah, that's someone I want to play for. But Maze, that's not the question that intrigues me. No, no. The question that intrigues me is what coach would you least want to play for? Oh. Mm. Oh, my guy tips. That's insane. So what do we think that is? Is his reputation for grueling practices and high workload? Yeah. Laziness rearing its ugly head in the league. I think it's the injuries. It's the minutes played. It's, you know, all the controversy fair or not, probably not fair to blame like Derek Rose's injuries over the years on how many minutes he played and the injury in the playoffs. Like why was he playing at that deficit mercy rule? Just take him out of the game. That probably has some mileage among players. I just think that there has to be someone, Right. They have to vote someone in this category. And I feel like Tom Thibodeau is just the one who has the reputation for going the hardest in practice and old school coach that grinds players to the bone. But as they point out in this story, none of the Knicks players ranked in the top 16 in minutes per game this season. Softening. I think also it's a little bit of social media. I don't think they actually think this in the same way. I don't think they actually think Drew Alda is underrated. I think they think that's what people want to hear. That Steven Silas was number two really shocked me because this is a dude countless players have said when he was an assistant coach, that was their favorite person to play for their favorite coach. So I'm a little incredulous that in like basically two years, three years, he's developed another reputation that guys don't want to play for him. Hey doc, I'm just wondering what you think about finishing third on this list. 7.3%. I finished fourth. There's somebody named other. Other than me, who's third? Sorry, I don't know what to tell you. Thanks. I know it's not Blake's fault. I always stick up for him. So he, I know he's not, he didn't vote for me. Rick Carlisle, more likable than me? Really? Really, though. Hold on. Rick Carlisle? <laughs> no, you're just saying <laughs> my voice is about to be torn into shreds. Can I please stop doing this? No, Mean also has thoughts on Rick Carlisle. That's just stuck. I'm just saying. Rick Carlisle? Really? He's that low on the list? You'd rather play for Rick Carlisle than Steve Silas? Come on, man. All right. Now let's get to the good stuff. Couple poll questions down. Who is the best ref? No, 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 no. We don't need best ref. I don't care who players like. I want to hear who they hate. Who is the worst ref according to NBA players? Other. Oh, that <laughs> son of a bitch. Come on, man. I don't want to play for him, <laughs> and I don't want him repping my game. That son of a bitch other. Including... All of them, and they're all damn good. Each received one vote. Oh, wow. You know what's interesting to me here is what arena has the best fans got 103 votes, but who is the worst referee got half that? 59 votes. No anonymity can defend people thinking that they will get called out for putting pen to paper. They don't want to put their name on it. You know, who knows? Maybe the athletic somehow this list comes out and they have the list of Scott Foster's 
voters, 59 votes. Scott Foster at 25%. So what is that? 15 votes. How many votes did Chris Paul have? Uh, Chris Paul, at the time of this recording, 13 straight playoff losses with Scott Foster officiating. He is 2-17 career with Scott Foster officiating his playoff games. And that is also his record against the spread. His team's record against the spread is 2-17. and 17. All right. Best ref. Let's do it. Who's the guy? Who's the man that everybody loves? Oh, it's my buddy. He's calling the game. Who is it? Tony Brothers. What? Tony Brothers. Yeah. Wait, Tony Brothers that finished second and who's the worst ref? <laughs> yeah. Very polarizing figure. Bizarre. I guess to be fair, Scott Foster did finish third in best. Really? Behind other and none. That's everyone who's not Chris Paul voting, right? Mm-hmm. I got to feel like if you see the ref a lot, these are guys who've been around for a long time, right? If you're asked for random NBA players, who is the best ref? They might only know a handful by name, like new players in the NBA. Do they know every referee by name? So I kind of feel like Tony Brothers and Scott Foster, just by virtue of watching the NBA over the last 30 years or 20 years, they're household names in terms of referees. So I'm not totally surprised that both of those guys are on the best and the worst list. It's one of those things where it's like their names come up because that's the only names they can think of as far as refs. That's my thing. Like the answer is merely just name a ref. Just name a ref. And they came up with that. Tony Brothers, there are 66 votes in this. So it's seven more than the worst ref. So they're more likely to respond with the who is the best ref. And Tony Brothers got 29%. Zach Zarb at 18%. None in various forms, 11%. And Scott Foster, third in the individual vote. James Capers, Mark Davis. You know what? I know this is anonymous, but I'm pretty sure I can tell you who didn't vote for Tony Brothers as the best ref. Oh, yeah? Who's that? Well, I actually did some research. What does that look like? You doing your own research? Are you doing studies yourself? Are you in the lab on a nightly basis? What are you doing? Do your own research. Do your own research. Do your own research. Do your own research. Doing your own research. I'm not a scientist. I'm not here to tell everyone that this is it. For me, it's just um, just giving everyone a chance to do their own research and find their own knowledge. So I got the duster. I'm sorry? Dusting off the segment. We haven't done this in a while. Oh, I thought you were talking about a coat. A coat, like always sunny, right? Like Max Duster? <laughs> That's all I can think of. Just a big leather coat. A sweet leather duster. Is Tom in the Matrix? What's about <laughs> to happen right now? <laughs> I'm dusting off this segment. Tom did his own research because there's an interesting part of this poll, the player poll at The Athletic, that I feel like we need to talk about, which is Tony Brothers who's one of the worst and best referees in the NBA, according to the players, seems like he's, I don't know, avoiding is the right word, but he hasn't worked a game involving a particular team in the NBA. And I feel like this should be out there in the open. We should probably talk about this. So here's the research. Spencer Dinwiddie has gone over 70 games played since the November 4th incident Mm -hmm. with Tony Brothers in which allegedly Tony Brothers called Spencer Dinwiddie, then playing for the Dallas Mavericks, a bitch-ass mother. Mm. Bamf. 
I apologize to Tony Brothers for what uh, seemed to keep him irate, which was a clap. I think he thought it was uh, disrespectful. Um, if you watch the games, and I know that's what refs are supposed to do, you see that I, I clap to like get the attention of my teammates, things of that nature. So it was nothing personal. Um, so as a man, I would like to say I'm sorry first and foremost. And secondarily, I would like to say not only would I like my money back, but I would like to not be called a bitch-ass motherfucker to my teammate. So if there is anybody that feels that way about me, not naming any names, they can address me personally face-to-face because no uh, swear words were used in the direction of anybody um, personally. It was like, hey, that wasn't a take foul or uh, that wasn't a f***ing take foul or something like that, but it wasn't anything that was uh, personal. Um, so NBA, I would definitely like my money back and I would appreciate no fine at all in uh, this monologue. Thank you. And how many times, I mean, Mays, you want to guess that Spencer Dinwiddie has played in a game in which Tony Brothers is officiating since that incident? How many times? Five times. I mean, Tony Brothers is one of the biggest refs in the league, so I'm assuming he covers every team. I'll say three, four times. Final answer, three, four? My final answer is two answers, yes. The answer is zero. Zero? What? Zero times, Tom. Did my research, and it turns out Spencer Dinwiddie, who got traded in early February from the Dallas Mavericks to the Brooklyn Nets for the rest of the season after that trade, the Brooklyn Nets did not see Tony Brothers. So after that November 4th incident, Mark Stein reporting that the NBA disciplined Tony Brothers. We don't really hear about this, officials getting disciplined or suspended. So this makes it extra spicy, extra interesting. The fact that for the rest of the season, Tony Brothers worked 56 games and not one of them involved Spencer Dinwiddie's team. Impossible. There's no such thing. It's just impossible. It is, because it happened. It happened. I mean, that's a fact. It's the facts. Let me take that back. It's not impossible. What I meant to say, it's improbable. (laughs) Ridiculously, ridiculously improbable. Like, what's the math on that? Well, before we get to that, Tony Brothers, I did some more research, has worked 56 games since that incident, and he has worked every single team except for the one that had Spencer Dinwiddie on it. That can't be random, right? Like this has to be intentional. I mean, let's go the other way. Since November 4th, look at the playoff roster of the NBA referees, 36 NBA referees, the best referees in the NBA. Mm -hmm. How many of those referees did Spencer Dinwiddie see after that November 4 game? 35? 35. Jesus. Some of those referees he had seen as many as six times, sometimes five, sometimes four, sometimes three. But Tony Brothers is the only one that Spencer Dinwiddie hasn't seen. And it's the only player or the only team that Tony Brothers hasn't seen. So we look at it from one angle, points to Tony Brothers, look at the other one, points to Spencer Dinwiddie's team. I don't know how often this happens. Remember Marat Kogut a few years ago? Mm Mm-hmm. After the Draymond Green tweet in which he likened Marat Kogut to Tim Donaghy mm-hmm. for that next season, the NBA did not put Marat Kogut on a Draymond Green game. He has since and gotten a lot of trouble with Marat Kogut and Draymond. There have been more issues between them. But yeah, I actually wanted to ask someone who does this for a living, an academic oh. who works in probability. You got someone to do the math? I literally got someone to do the math. I did the research, but I'm not a statistician. He's outsourcing. This is Sam Cook. He's a professor. Sam Cook. Let me guess what he's a professor of. I'm pretty sure he's not a professor of history. 
I'm sure he doesn't know much about geography. Geography. Doesn't know much about science books. He knows nothing about the French he took. But he does know one and one is two. And that's the basis of a good statistician. Let's hear what Sam Cooke had to say, Tom. He's a statistics professor at Boston University. He got his PhD in statistics, his master's in mathematics. Let's bring him in. Okay, Sam, so help me out here. Given that Tony Brothers has officiated 56 games since the November 4th incident with Spencer Dinwiddie, what is the probability that... Tony brothers would not see a Spencer Dinwiddie team over those 56 games. Like when a fan says like, what are the odds? How do you approach that problem as a statistician? Really? The only way I can approach it is totally randomly and say, okay, how would this look if it was completely random? And there's two ways to approach that. So the first is with no qualifiers, no restrictions. We just say how many games in the NBA were there? And we're going to select 56 of those at random. And then we're going to select 56 games at random that don't have any Spencer Dinwiddie games and see what the probability would be there. And when you do that, it's about four and a half percent. So with no qualifiers where you could pick two games on the same day or three games on the same day with no extra information, I would randomly say at worst four and a half percent. So you're saying you could pick two games on the same day in this scenario, but in reality, Tony brothers can't clone himself or Spencer Dinwiddie can't clone himself. And those probably yeah, so I like, out, right? That's right. So I like doing that because it gives me kind of like a ceiling. And so then we can get a more precise answer by taking the information we do have. So for example, you said that brothers officiated 56 games. Well, we know that 39 of those 56 games that he officiated, Spencer Dinwiddie played a game on that day. So there are 39 instances where if he got the schedule a month in advance and said, oh, I'm officiating on this day, when the day came to get the actual assignment of the game, 39 of those 56 times he could have been assigned to Spencer Dinwiddie. And so we could just take a look at just those 39 out of the 56 to say, well, if we just randomly assigned him on those 39 days, what's the likelihood that he would miss Dinwiddie every time? So over 39. Yes, they go 0 for 39. And that's a pretty straightforward calculation to just if we're doing it completely randomly. And that comes out to 0.59%. So between half a percent and 1%. Wow. So it's less than 1%, but not really one out of a billion chance. Like things that happen or have the odds of a 0.56% or a half a percent happens once every 200 tries? Yes, so somewhere between once every 100 and once every 200. So that definitely can happen. It's a thing that does happen. It's rare, but not like overly rare. So, you know, I would say rare things happen and this could be one of those things. Obviously, you're not sitting here and saying that the NBA kept Tony Brothers off of Spencer Dinwiddie's games, but it is pretty low probability that this would happen by pure random chance. Right. Yeah. The only thing I can do is quantify randomness as one of the explanations. And so the explanation for randomness would be under 1%, which is pretty long odds, but odds that do happen. Yeah. So there you have it. Sam Cook, less than 1% chance that this is completely random. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> Samsonite. <laughs> it's not one in a trillion. It's not one in a billion, but it's one in 100 that this would be completely random noise that Spencer Dinwiddie just so happened to never see Tony brothers over the last several months. And that is extended into the playoffs. The first two games 
Spencer Dinwiddie has not seen Tony Brothers. So far, they have been separated again here in the playoffs. We don't have much time here with the Brooklyn Nets, it looks like. I don't know, Tom. Now that we're calling attention to it, my third eye tells me we might see Tony Brothers in Brooklyn in the next two games. Okay, all right. So that's a lot of math. And under a 1% chance sounds like an insane, insane probability. Dare I ask, has this happened with any other combination of ref and particular player in the NBA? Right. So there's no referee that hasn't seen, I guess, qualified referee, playoff referee that hasn't seen Spencer Dinwiddie. But there are a lot of other referee team matchups. I actually looked at the 41 referees that have worked at least 50 games this season. So Tony Brothers has worked 60 plus games, 56 since November 4th. So we're talking 41 referees who have refereed at least 50 games and 30 teams. That's 1,230 ref team combinations, I mean. Mm -hmm. And of that, there are only nine unique referees, according to my research, that had a gap as large as Tony Brothers not refing a Spencer Dinwiddie game. So looking as of April 9th, Tony Brothers hadn't seen Spencer Dinwiddie in about 156 days. So I looked at all the referee combinations as large as 156 days since the last time they saw a team. And we got nine referees. And one of those referees, Sean Corbin, has missed the Clippers and the Milwaukee Bucks. Hmm. So 10 out of 1,230 do the math. That's 0.8%. Less than 1% again. So you're saying there's a chance. The math is on the money. So are we just lucky? Are these like just lucky situations? I don't believe in luck, guys. I'm going to say this right now. I don't believe in it. I don't believe in luck. I think that things, when you're talking about probabilities that small, we're talking about orchestration. We're talking about directives coming from up above, specifically saying, hey, this is a problematic situation. And rather than just accept that their guy messed up, how they do it is, oh, we'll just schedule you this way or schedule you that way. He doesn't ever have to run into him. Cowardice. That's what I say it is. Way, way, way to me. What you're saying is Ben Taylor wouldn't have been on the Fred Van Vliet game after that. But the NBA did put Ben Taylor on a game after Fred Van Vliet said you are terrible. The NBA put Ben Taylor on that game right after that. So what about that? Well, this is what I'll say to you. Did the NBA discipline Ben Taylor in any way? He got downgraded. Uh -uh. Whoa, 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 whoa. We're not doing this again. No, no, no. He was just working as a ref too. He wasn't demoted or anything, okay? Not demoted. Just happened to be working as a ref too behind a more established crew chief after the Fred Van Vliet rant. But no, no, no. Uh, Ben Taylor was not disciplined by the NBA. No. Interesting. But Tom, isn't this a little different because in this case, the F-bombing or the MF-bombing is going from ref to player as opposed to player to ref. Well, yeah, and it wasn't a suspension, I should say. A source close to the situation has informed me that it wasn't a suspension, what we saw with Tony Brothers. It was just discipline. He missed a game assignment. Missed a game assignment? What the hell does that mean? Was he fine? Did he miss like a day's worth of pay for the work missed? No, he was paid. He was paid. He just had a few extra days between games. So he got a vacation. He got PTO? Well, I mean, he wants to work games. If I, I'm told I don't need to show up to work, but 
get your money and then come back on Monday. That's a vacation. That's PTO. I accept that offer. Yeah. (laughs) Where can I get that treatment? You know what's really making my third eye water on this one? Onions. Is that he switched teams. So it's one thing to not have Dallas on the schedule for a whole year, to not have Brooklyn on the schedule for a whole year. But then there's when he got traded. And in my mind, now I'm no statistician. I'm not Sam Cook. I don't know much about mathematics. But seems unlikely that he would miss both teams for that specific amount of time. Well, Mays, I should say, March 20th, Tony Brothers did work a Dallas game. Well, huh. Interesting. How about that? Oh, 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 let's cover our tracks, everybody. Let's uh, oh, sign him a game with the team after Spencer's gone. Yeah. Huh. Fool me once. Oh, come on. I mean, I'm just saying. Okay. Now you're going overboard. Miraculously, very conveniently, he doesn't ref a game for that team until after the guy's been traded away from there. Well, let me guess. He repped the Brooklyn game before Spencer got there. Yeah, that's actually that's actually true too. Oh, 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 yeah, convenient guys. Look, dots. Some people see random dots. I see a pencil. Draw the lines. Connect those dots. Uh, those dots connected or crossed out. You know what Tom Havistrow is? You are a traitor to the nation. No. Yes, you are. I'm just you out here. Spin alley, poking whole imaginary holes in this airtight argument that Mays and I have. It too, Tom. Look, it's statistical noise. It's random noise. It just so happens that after the trade, Tony Brothers does work a Dallas game. And before the trade, he works a Brooklyn game. And look, you know, they don't even cross paths in the schedule. What, like a handful of times? I mean, hey, how far in advance does the league make these schedules? I've heard a source close to the situation. I heard it from up on high that they get their schedules like a month in advance, a month in advance. Okay, that's plenty of time to expertly manipulate maneuver so you avoid certain situations. That's all I'm going to say about that. Once again, as I remind everybody, I'm not saying anything. I'm just asking questions. So it takes a month to make a schedule. Spencer Dinwiddie gets traded on February 5th. And then, lo and behold, Tony Brothers works a Dallas game on March 20th. Hmm. Tom, do me a favor. Take a look at the schedule. Okay. Yeah. How many days did their schedules overlap? Meaning days where Tony Brothers was repping and Spencer Dinwiddie was playing. Ooh, since November 4th, I've got 11. Oh, no, no, no. It's it's way higher than that. Sorry. 39 instances. Yeah. 39 instances (laughs) of them overlapping. On the same night. Oh, they didn't have a chance. There could be different time zones, right? Like Spencer could be in Boston. How many? How many were in different time zones? Oh, man. March 29th. Oh, no. Don't look at the schedule. Don't look at the schedule on March 29th. Don't do it. Let me guess. He was in Brooklyn and Tony Brothers is doing a Nick game. Yeah. Yeah. No, come on, man. Yo, man, you can't be this obvious. You cannot be this obvious. 
What are we talking about, man? There's only 11 instances that I could find that they were in the same time zone. Look, what are the chances? It's not every night, okay? Let's look at this one. Uh, December 19th, Dallas at Minnesota. This was before the trade. So Spencer was in Minnesota. And look, Tony Brothers was in New Orleans that night, okay? February 15th, okay. Tony Brothers was working a Boston game in Boston and Spencer was on the Nets at this point playing against Miami. But hey, over the next like several weeks, they didn't cross paths. And so what are you gonna do? You know, it's just a schedule. That's how the cookie crumbles, Sam Cook. I don't know much about schedule making, but I do know how to do my own research. <laughs> about scheduling don't know much about referees don't know much about dinwiddie but i do know about statistical boys okay what a wonderful league it would be the agenda against the heat maze i mean the nba doesn't want the heat to win they don't want it what do you mean? They got Kyle Lowry on their team. They got Kevin Love on their team. Then all of a sudden, we're talking about banning the charge, getting rid of the charge. How convenient. They get two of the best charge takers in the NBA on their squad, including Udonis Haslam, who might be the best charge taker of all time. The GOAT. <laughs> the Tracy McGrady's of charge making. Yeah, was that in the player poll? Who takes the best charges? Udonis Haslam. But all of a sudden, Maze, the NBA becomes a huge story. Oh, John Morant gets hurt, right? <laughs> oh, big deal. Oh, Giannis Antetokounmpo gets hurt. Oh, remember in 2019, Stephen Curry broke his hand when Aaron Baines slid over and took a charge? Oh, now suddenly we're going to get rid of charges. You know, it's just an agenda against the Miami Heat. They don't want to see Pat Riley win. When was the last time the Miami Heat had any success, right? Think about it. Two years ago? Or last year? Yeah. How do you feel about Bobby Portis bumping into your boy, Spo? Were you outraged? Did you want to fight? Did you want to get to the screen and fight Bobby Portis yourself? Yeah, it just reminded me of Bumpgate from, from that first season in the Heat Index when LeBron and Spo bumped into each other and pretended that it wasn't, you know? Hey, you know what it was? What? Statistical noise. It's <laughs> called a callback, folks. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.